Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today at the Untitled Art Podcast, live recording from Miami Beach at the Untitled Art 11th edition. I am Clara Andrade, the Director of Development and Programming at Untitled Art. This is our day, last day, sorry, of the Untitled Art Fair. And I, I, must, I must say that I can't believe it, although my body does. It's been intense, but very, very good. I am delighted to introduce you to the first panel of the day, titled Scratching, Remixing, and Hacking, the Conception of Latin XOAE Plus Narratives, a conversation with Rico Robo, the Research Institute of Cannibal Opportunism and Repository of Obsessive Bubo Lucionary Obsolescence. Wow. <laughs> Is confirmed uh, by Adrian uh, Edgar Rivera, Daniel Arturo Almeida, Itzel Basualdo, Rodrigo Carazas Portal, and Olenka Macasi. This podcast is presented by Terremoto and moderated by Terremoto's executive director and curator, Elena Lugo. Elena Lugo will expand on Rico Robo's trajectory and practice, but I would like to introduce you all to Terremoto. Based in Mexico City since 2013, Terremoto is the leading bilingual independent media for contemporary arts in the Americas, with an extensive network of collaborators and a critical focus on the colonial, queer, and anti-patriarchal practices. Terremoto will pause its print magazine and refocus its case on digital content and an upcoming program of curatorial and artistic residences connecting the Americas. With no further ado, I hand over the mic to Elena. Uh, and also I want to say to all that uh, Terremoto has organized a curatorial tour at 1 p.m. So please join us if you have some time later. And thank you again for being part of the Untitled Art Podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Clara, for this introduction. Uh, well, I'm super happy uh, that Terremoto is engaging in conversation with Rico Robo. That as you can imagine, and I'm going to say it again, uh, um, it, it, this name is like um, so mischievous and exotic and weird that we really wanted to, to, to explore more in depth what are they doing and how are they exploring certain things that Terremoto is also very concerned with. Uh, so Rico Robo stands, it's like R-I-C-O space R-O-B-O and it stands for the Research Institute on Cannibal Opportunism and Repository of Obsessive Bovolutionary Obsolence. So when, we, when, when I first read about these guys, I was like, what is this? Like, I need to know more about them. Uh, but also, I think they are making a lot of important questions regarding Latin American identity. And I thought this was very important, not only for Untitled, that represents a lot of Latin American galleries, but also for Terremoto, because we give visibility and space to curatorial practices in the continent. Um, so basically, the, the main thing we want to do in this podcast is try to question or to ask, how is Latin American identity archived, stored, imagined, represented, enunciated, and so many other verbs are, that um, Latin American practitioners are always very concerned, especially when we are working in between countries. Uh, so I don't know if you want to briefly introduce what Rico Robo is. Um, you define yourselves as this horizontal collective. Uh, and one of the very important things about Rico Robo is that all of the members of, of Rico Robo are 
Latin America or have like a very special relationship between the States and Latin America. So I don't know if you want to briefly introduce Rico Robo and maybe then tell us a little bit, bit about yourselves. Hi. Hello. Hey, uh, Elena Terremoto. I wanted to say thank you so much for having us. We're really, really excited and thrilled to be here. Thank you, Untitled. Um, Rico Robo. Yeah, so we are an artist-led research institute. Uh, a think tank, really, of sorts, a place to have conversations. We are all of Latin American origin, bear some re uh, relationship to the region. I was born here in Miami, but my father's from Argentina. My mother's Mexican. I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I was born in Venezuela. I moved to the U.S., to Miami in 2011. And then I went to New York in 2018, and I came back uh, here. So I'm also like an interdisciplinary artist, uh, an educator. And yeah, I don't know if, Rodrigo, you want to take it on? Yeah, so I also have an like, interesting relationship with the United States. I came here with a green card, and I won the green card lottery. So I feel like all is kind of like a way of luck to be here. And that's also in the spirit of Rico Robo, how we like tangle ourselves around what it is to be in the United States and what it is to be a Latin American experience within the limits of what this country allows you to be when you are from Latin America too. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where like Rico Robo mm -hmm. tries to push his limits. I think I forgot to say this, but my name is Itzel. This is Daniel. Oh yeah, Daniel Almeida, sorry. And Rodrigo. <laughs> I'm Rodrigo, yeah. yeah. And we have two other members that are not with us here today because we are kind of spread out all over the country and the Americas really. And Alenka is in Peru and Adrian is in New York right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so, well, one of the things that we are also concerned in Terremoto is that it's about collective practices, right? Especially when they entangle with identities and like how to gather, how to work together, how to define ourselves. Um, so something really important that I also wanted uh, to stress is that Rico Robo, for those who don't speak Spanish, um, is a very funny wordplay because it's also like tasty theft. Like, I don't know how do you translate it usually, <laughs> but this is the translation I made. Um, but um, so you define Rico Robo um, as a cultural production bureau specializing in scratching, remixing, and hacking the corporate and institutional consumption of Latin American narratives. Uh, they role play with commercial and academic business models and they harvest a counter manipulation agenda through transgressive knowledge exchange, site specific interventions and cross border research. So I wanted to ask firstly, like which strategies do you use? How do you embody your Latin American identity and how do you mix this with your cultural practice? Yeah. I think like in a way the, uh, the origins of Rico Robo is kind of like an answer to that because like, our main strategy is community because what made us do Rico Row is that we were feeling that the conversations and narratives that we wanted to explore really didn't have like a, a framework of reference or understanding because of a lack of knowledge and information and education basically here about like what's happening in Latin America historically and contemporarily. And also just the, the idea that the American, uh, the, the American is the moniker of the United States kind of like tells about like how much of a footnoter uh, or narratives are in this country. So for us, like uh, one of our main strategies is coming together and that's something that we do like uh, have conversations with other uh, Latin producers 
And particularly, I don't know if it's all you want to talk about one of our latest uh, activations with Xavier Robles Armas, which is like the first time that we have worked with somebody outside of the five of us, um, and it's specifically with an activation. Sure. Um, going back to what you said that Rico Robo emerged kind of out of a need for community in a space where we could have conversations about our work and we didn't feel like we were being othered or perceptions of our identity would, or, pers or narratives rather were being flattened. Um, and we are all Latin American, sure, whatever that means. Um, but our experiences have been very different. Um, I was thinking, you know, You know, the American perspective. I was born here, right? Ostensibly, I'm American, also Latin American. But what is, I don't think that there's a consensus of the Latin X perspective that is accounted for in what it is to be like the American story, right? Like, um, and so we have, and then conversations between folks who were born in Latin America, live here, emigrated later in life. Um, that's also a different story. And so, Rico Robo is a place where those two come together, right? And what does that look like when they come together? We did this activation in Brooklyn back in October where we rented a pickup truck. We were invited to do something at a party for the space called an organization called New Lab. So we rented a pickup truck and we wanted the pickup truck to both be, it would be an actual vehicle, but a vehicle for folks to engage with ideas relating to citizenship, surveillance. Um, there is this kind of like mythology that follows the pickup truck or, or troca, as Mexican-Americans call it. Um, my dad used to have a troca back in the day, and coincidentally, the activation landed on his birthday. So we rented a Ford F-150, decorated it inside, so you wouldn't feel that you were necessarily inside a pickup truck in a utilitarian vehicle. But... Um, decorated with like this satin fabric, bright colors. There's these kooky, crazy stickers that we've been collecting over the past couple months, put all over the truck. And so you'd sit in there, there was cumbia playing, beer outside. And everyone's like, what is this pickup truck doing in a high, like a very tech, techie area in Brooklyn with lights, cumbia. And, and that was kind of the purpose, like bringing this aesthetic vehicle that, we wouldn't imagine and don't feel necessarily has a place in this space, right? But we decided to activate public space like that, invite people to have this experience, and then they'd hop inside the truck and have conversations with different members of Rico Robo on citizenship, surveillance of immigrant bodies. Um, and then we had a cake on the truck bed, which is popping up on here and Know if you want to say more about the cake yeah the part about the cake we were very interested in the idea of like surveillance this uh new lab space uh a lot of like technologies are developing there so we were interested in thinking about like how technology can also be like detrimental specifically you know like to immigrants and brown bodies specifically and we, we were thinking about like our own relation to like surveillance and for example i am on a temporary protected status and it is this type of uh bitter sweetness of getting your papers like for example that cake says this notice does not grant immigration status and that's something that i have to go through like since 2011 here i still don't have a green card or a path to citizenship so we were interested as Itel was saying like staying like this party kind of uh, kind of situation but then when people come to engage they find the cake then they question the meaning of it and then we start having conversations and as it's sharing like all of us like share because uh or 
uh, landing in this country, either like through our parents or ourselves, wasn't easy. Uh, specifically, when we think about like this idea of the American dream and how it relates to like Latin America. I don't know, Rodrigo, if you want to add something about that event. Yeah, I think in, in sense the experience in itself, like about technology and also in the fields of tech, like how our our per, our personalities are represented or how our communities are represented is very limited. I think like we don't have too much access to it. And also where we like strategize from, like we all are working in academia, in museums, and we had and we understand the privilege that it is to be in these spaces and like try to get conversations from there that I try to be more much more expansive in the way like what it is to be red Latin American. You know, it's not just uh I'm Peruvian and I'm I I I will talk to you about Machu Picchu, right? It's kind of like talking about like the different problems that come for it. You know, it's not just about going to the beaches and like, you know, we love the beaches, but it's just something else that is there, you know? So I believe that's where it comes to, to make a much more interesting conversation into us. No, definitely. Um, I wanted to mention a couple of things that you already said, but that, that I think that will, you know, reimburse the, the conversation. Uh, you were talking about otherness, but also about uh, how the Latin American identity has been exoticized in a way. Like, I think that a lot of people want, you know, to jump into the reggaeton experience and the cumbia and the party. And everybody is like wanting to go to Latin America to have like a cheap life, but also like get to dance as we do, which they can't. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think there's like this sort of a, the Latin American identity as some sort of commodification. Like, um, so I was wondering that. But also, I think another very interesting question is like, what do we share as Latin Americans? And how our, our colonial past is also like a very painful experience and gunt that we are constantly carrying and that we're dragging. So how do you navigate between, you know, everybody wants to be a Latino, but nobody wants to drag the, this colonial past or what it, you know, means to actually be a Latin American person? So how do you deal with this in your practice? Can I go? I think we intend for our works and what we do to operate in that liminal space where We understand as Rico Robo, we kind of emerge as a product of like, we're tired of being exoticized. And so, you know, Rico Robo, the name, it means like grand theft to rob the rich. All that is kind of like slyly pointing at what we want to do. We want to dress up as this like fun organization, seduce you with our colors and design skills, but then bring you in to have these difficult conversations like we did in the pickup truck. Um, yeah, I will say like a lot of uh, even or individual works as well, like deal with humor and also uh, like symbology and kind of like um, disrupting, you know, like uh, understanding of symbols. Um, and I think that with Rico Robo, the interesting thing is like, as again, like part of our genesis is we all come from different places. And that means that we have like different understandings and also like something that we haven't mentioned, but of course, the different intersections of our identities, you know, like being female or like cis male or cis or cis woman, like queer. some of us are queer. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, it's interesting to like understand how we grew up and how like all of these things like match or mismatch 
And that way we think about like how there is like this mon monolith of like the Latinx identity. And even like what you were saying before, uh, some people like feel a certain type of like um, um, rechazo, like the word doesn't come to rejection, rejection uh, towards even the word like Latinx. And some other people feel like the word uh, Latino or Latina, you know, like doesn't make it because it's missing that you know, non-binary aspect to it. So that's why we talk about Latinexiao. We like to see all of this thesis about what is being Latino as not finding like one sole answer, answer to it, but kind of like looking at uh, the whole panorama and exploring each of those through like our projects and the things that we're researching. Um, yeah. We were, you know, thinking a lot about what it means to be Latinx, Latino, Latine. Is it a product of like generations of immigration like is it a non-space to be latino you know because it essentially like, did we is it a result of colonization you know like of a colonial legacy um and i think in our works we're aware of that colonial legacy and want to talk about it push back on it um rodrigo yeah, I believe also there is the idea of diversity that comes into the United States and seeps into academia and to like even professional practices that we are kind of sometimes used as tools to like yeah. be a number, a percentage into some kind of like... Tokenized. tokenized. I've used it as well. And then, but once you are there, there's a moment you can actually start amplifying other voices, like pro creating a problem rather than creating a solution for them because they want to solve their like you know another problem that is not really our problem we want to do is expand these ideas so there is that moment of like there is this uh, particular i remember this uh, book that i read that was the undercommons so i feel like when you are there like we are like the undercommons in the academia like we are in a way trying to push as much as we can the canons of what diversity is so we can leave a space for other people to come and like move further the idea. I think like we don't have a particular answer. I think we're more like a problem for now. Yeah. And I think like that's where we leave at, you know, like these speculations of what it can be or how we can move things forward. No, this is very interesting. Like for me, I think that I have gotten residencies or like gotten into certain schools or certain scholarships because I'm like, I'm a woman and I'm Latin American. Like I have two checks, no? Like, and I think uh, this is something very useful in a way because you're getting in because you're like this certain type of minority. But how can you use this as to create certain tensions in between these systems, right? Um one question that also like I'm, I'm you know, uh, thinking about is like it uh, between the Latin American identities, like we say Latin American, but obviously it's super different to be a Peruvian than a Mexican than someone from Venezuela or El Salvador. And also we have all types of colors and sizes and indigenous past, but also like uh, we have a lot of whiteness in it. So how you as a collective uh, navigate these differences because not all the bodies arrive to the same places or are feeling the same things or have the same privileges. So how do you navigate this Latin American as a community, but also uh, acknowledging these differences? 
I think that for us, again, it's important. And this is something that is kind of like a goal for us this year is like expand the conversations even beyond ourselves and bring more people in because you cannot, you know, like that. that's why we feel conflicted with the idea that there's one word like Latinx that is going to define that experience. So that's why we think that, you know, like for us, the important thing is like to bring more people in and have the conversation. As Rodrigo is saying, you know, like, uh, injecting yourself like into these institutions and kind of like you know opening the door and bringing others in um i don't know if tell if you want to like add to that sure i think that you know again there isn't a singular experience we want to be like a bridge to talk about the non-singular experience and um i mean one's experience as a latino is off you know, of course, shaped by the color of your skin. Colorism is a thing, like preference for whiteness, anti-indigeneity, anti-blackness. And I think all we were responding to those things, Enrico Robo, um, intending to push back. Yeah. And I also think, like, it's important to add that how, like, sometimes we bring, like, a topic into a table of Enrico Robo and then, like, somebody has like a reaction, you know, specifically uh, uh, to that. And then like, we try to understand, okay, like what is happening with this? Why is this affecting you? Or like, why is this symbology like offensive to you or aggressive to you? Because like you're queer or because you're a woman, you know, and these things that sometimes are like flattened, you know, like within our culture. And I think like, that's the important thing about like being that bridge that it's saying is like just opening up the conversation, have that space for conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think that always these in-between spaces are like these great areas in which the uncertain can happen, but also like uh, they open some sort of a space to, you know, filter certain questions and knowledge. Uh, I want to delve a little bit more into your actual practice as a collective. Uh, you were mentioning when we first spoke uh, that you were creating this digital archive of... Um, objects, images that represent Latin American culture. I don't know if we want to talk about that. Well, I think there are certain, I would say, like, images, objects that concurred or, like, relate to our own experience. Like, you know, I think, like, we all got, like, the bootleg toy, el, el, el juguete bamba, that we say in Peru. Pirata. Yeah, pirata, chapa, The many words for yeah. a so, copy, right? Yeah. This, is, this is something we should talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Chapa. How do you say pirata in English? Like, oh, so Rico Robo. Bootleg. Yeah, so Rico Robo uh, also entangles with notions of theft, smuggling, counterfeit, like, uh, you know, trying to steal some sort of... Uh, I, I mean, you know, we need the grant money. That's what we're we're trying yeah. to tell you without telling you that. Like, we're trying to get that grant money. But um, besides the grant money, I mean, with the grant money, we want to talk about bootlegs, right? And elevate the bootleg. Where somebody, where people who grew up playing with juguetes piratas and, the, you know, that copy, though, is an original in its essence, you know? It is it is one of a kind. Yeah. It is a copy of, you know, what was original, but we're like, what is the original, right? So we're building an archive of, you know, an expanded, I guess, visual glossary of Latin American culture. What, by 3D scanning objects like a un pollo rostizado, a Peruvian rostizier yeah. chicken, the menu. you know? <laughs> or what? No, like the menu, everything. Yeah, yeah the like... menu. Yeah. 
I think like for us, like the, the scanning is also like thinking about like the footprint, you know, of this experience in this country, you know, like the hybridity of it. How does it look? What are the conversations intertwined with that? And also like something that I think is interesting is like, uh, for example, like this idea of like the colonized, the colonized mind. Uh, in my own experience, I had never left my country and I come from like a lower middle class family. So I remember like when I arrived in the U.S. and I was like just 18, I just felt like I was like in a movie set or something. Like that. I felt like unreal, felt like a, a surreal experience. So it's also interesting to like understand how we've been taught to see like our culture or where we come from as like something less and like this country, you know, like as something greater. And like this, even like this idea of like the, lot like the visa lottery, you know, it's like yeah. you win this thing. I don't know like if you want to talk about that, but I feel like that's. Yeah, I feel like that was like super weird when i tell people it's like what is that and some people know about it some people don't know and it just it's so random that i end up in this country to me and i speak in this language right now it's like right now this feels like a movie to me you know? it's like <laughs> kind of like well okay you know it's just i feel like none of us i feel a lot of for rico robo too is that like we were the people that when we were studying our let's say like grad degrees we were at like the human resources people be like we need money to pay this school to like get this education yeah. you know like we just were those people like it's not only stressing about class but also stressing mm -hmm. about like how we're gonna get paid this 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 education and also when we got this education what are we gonna do with it and like you know are we gonna assimilate or are we gonna try to like break through yeah. or, or what it is I, there wait elena can i jump in yeah, on something sure. that you were saying um about so you know Latinos, Latinx folks are growing minority in the U.S. Yet, you know, there's so very few of us in MFA programs. Like, there are probably so very few artists in this fair that are Latinx, like like me, who are born in this country to Latin American parents. Because, uh, you know, I, I think, and it's obvious, by looking at, you know, how many Latinx students are in MFA programs. Very few. There are far more students who are born in Latin America, travel here to pursue a graduate degree than folks who were raised in this country, like me, speaking another language. And so, you know, I think Rico Robo is, like, responding to that marginalization, um, wanting to, like, decommodify this, like, flattening of our perspectives. But also, it's, like, the why the flattening of the perspective? Like, why the infantilization of the mm. Latino identity, right? Um, and... Also, to add to what you're saying, and even if you then look at the demographics of, like, the staff, who are the directors? You know, like, who, how many of them can be, you know, like, Latin? And also then you think about, like, how, like, schools are striving for filling, like, these demographic boxes, but then, like, they don't think about economics at all. And they want to have, like, a diversified student body, and it's like, you don't have, offer scholarship, you don't offer anything. So, like, how can you have, like, somebody that is just, like, not, like, a rich white person, you know, in your cohort, in a way? And I think the infantilization, exoticization, well, like that is then internalized, you know, like yeah. that by making work about being these experiences of being Latin, Venezuelan, Mexican, Argentinian, they're not taken seriously, you know. Yeah. And a, a few years ago, I was reading this book, really interesting. I can't remember the title of it now, but it was talking about how um, the perspectives and notes of U.S. ambassadors in Latin America in the 1900s, and I'm sure this is like true to this day, really influenced foreign policy. And a lot of what these ambassadors had to say was, well, these Latin Americans, these indigenous people, they don't know what they're doing. Like, God help them. They're helpless children. They need us, right? And so it, 
presently I hear people talking about Latin America as this problem that, you know, it has no solution. Like God help them, like God help us, you know, over there. And I think so much of that is, was like learned, you know, and indoctrinated. And I think we in Rico Robo are interested in, in talking and coming from that place, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. without awareness and wanting to, give nuance or rather like exemplify the nuance in these perspectives and our mm. perspectives as Latin X, Latine, X, A, I, O, U peoples. Yeah. No. And this is why I really think it's very important that you're making an archive. Uh, I, I find the archives fascinating because it's like, how do you construct history? And whenever you decide to select an image over other, it's not only what you're deciding to Uh, you know, to remember, but also what is being decided to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. So archives are always like a very complex sort of a print of whatever you want to say. But in this print that you're making, uh, you're also uh, letting the unconscious in a way be. So I find this archive, digital archive, fascinating about like, you know, the pollo rostizado Mm -hmm. and the tiny trucks and the, the thing, the pirata thing. So... Yeah, I think like especially when you think like, for example, when I think of my country, you know, it's so difficult to like find information, you know, like on museums and stuff like that. And even history, you know, I feel like there's like a lack of like archiving and specifically like, for example, when I when, you know, like uh, I think of, for example, like Venezuela, you know, like even you know, like the name of the country changed, the like symbols change. So it's like there's always like this change. And it's what you're saying, you know, like archiving is a way of like keeping track of what's happening. Um, and also, like, just something to share there, uh, you know, like, my family, like, me, migrated from, like, the, um, from the Canary Islands, and then we migrated from uh, Venezuela, you know, like, to different parts of the world, so, like, I personally feel, like, this need to archive, because I don't feel like I have a home, like, recently people tell me, like, oh, you moved back to Miami, is that home now, and I'm like, yeah, I guess that's home because I can't even go back to Venezuela, you know? So it's like, as I was saying, like Latinx is kind of like this place of non-being in a way too. Yeah, but for instance, this home diaspora narratives, identities, like if you go through the art fair and you uh, look into Latin, Latin American artists, like all of them are having these same preoccupations or where's home? What does it mean to be a Latin body in the States? Like... What is it to be illegal? How are we creating spaces for our own narratives and stories? Like, just to think of a couple, like if you go to, what's the name of this artist? Margarita, Margarita Cabrera, or if you go to Studio Lenca, like these are the same narratives. Like, this is a preoccupation that actually like Latin American artists are entangling with in their daily practices because I think this is like some sort of a space that we occupy and we don't really know like uh, how to explore because art right now is so globalized in a way that there are not, uh, these identity problems are not for everyone, just for a few. And I think this is uh, very interesting, no? Um, I wanted also to ask, how do you navigate between languages? Like uh, being not native speakers, but maybe like what's your first language? Like how, like what did you lose in a way? What did you, you know, I think language is also a very interesting topic when you are from elsewhere living somewhere else. So. I wanted to say something about the archive before, and it's, I oh, guess sorry. it ties into language. Um, 
No, um, I think the archive came out of also wanting to, I, I heard the, this Mexican novelist say this, Yuri Herrera, about mostrar los silencios, show the silences. And I think the archive is wanting to mostrar los silencios. And, and so is Rico Robo. Um, rather than like, we are the platform, we'll say this, like we, we want to show the, sil the voices, the silences, the spaces that have been left out. Um, but about language, I mean, I think that maybe because I, I grew up speaking Spanish, it's a language that I speak to my parents in. Um, I feel childish when I speak Spanish, but then I also wonder if it's just, is it, if it is that voice again, like that it is, that I'm infantile, you know, because I, in speaking Spanish, People, I mix up my tenses. Sometimes people tell me they know I speak Spanish through my English. I'm like, what's that supposed to mean? I could never tell. But I, I think growing up, I was like, oh, man, like my parents have an accent. And that, that was a point of shame. But now I'm like, you know what? Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference to me if somebody... And I studied writing. I'm like, or grammar, mistakes and whatnot. Like, what is that, what is that ultimately a symbol of? Like... Yeah, and in turn, I feel everything that itself feels, but in English. So, so it's very. Uh, I think like that's also like very interesting how you know like we can share that space and like help each other. I feel like sometimes when we're like having like an interview in Spanish, you know, like it felt might feel like more confident, you know, like that we are speaking. But like right now, like I feel like Rodrigo and I can agree that we feel like itself is like holding it. You know, <laughs> so, I I do think that, and also I would like to talk about like the fact that not even Spanish is the language of our land too. Yeah. So it's just like um, an echo of colonialism, you know, so when sometimes, yeah. you know, people are talking about like what, what it is to speak Spanish or should I speak Spanish? I was like, it's not even really like, it, this is me speaking Spanish. It's just what they left us, you know, yeah. when they erase our languages, you know, when they like went to communities and say like, you know, you cannot speak this language. You have to speak in, you have to speak Spanish, you know, so there is a lot of that too. And I believe like, yeah, like also I'm a professor, but yeah, sometimes I have to just go and like, you know, I think like we, with, um, with Daniel too, like we use like any software we can to like, kind of like make our writing look good. And so it just becomes like language becomes like a, just an abstract thing kind of that eventually you kind of compose it in something that makes sense. But like, yeah, there's a moment like, I feel like I don't even know what language I speak in, like, or, like, what language I think of. In. Yeah, this is uh, such, I don't know. Like, do, did you know that there are more people, in, more English speakers that they're not native speakers than actual native speakers? So this is, like, a common language that we all are kind of forced right. to use to understand each other. But also, I think we should be very proud about uh, the things that we can say that nobody can, else can understand, right? So I don't know, I think Latin American identity is like a super complex, endless topic uh, that needs to keep being discussed, especially in places like this. Like uh, Miami is like such a complex city regarding Latin American identities entangled with, uh, you know, whatever is to be uh, from the States and I don't know, like different types of uh, lives really gather here. Uh, but we're still in United States. So it's like a kind of violent structure at some point. Uh, I was wondering if we have any question from the public or any comments uh, before we end. Anyone? Yes. 
So uh, where people can find the archive? www.ricorobo.com <laughs> Thank you. So this is an archive under construction, as I understand. Like it's digital and it's like, you know, I don't know if it's open to the public. Maybe you should open it for like other Latin American identities who want to ask. We're thinking open source, potentially open yeah. source. But then, you know, there's all these questions that come with being open source. Definitely. <laughs> um, Because authorship is also like a powerful device. And if you collective, like if you make it collective, there are some implications of who is constructing the narrative of the archive. But also if it's only you guys, then it's like, I don't know, like so different. A, a, we were, you know, Daniel and I have been talking leading up to this talk. And one thing I, we thought about was imagine who we would be, right? And the conversations that we would be having had like colonialism not occurred and like that Spanish imposition had never happened. Like who That's would a very we strong be? question. Yeah, like what would we have to say? Like what would Latin American identity be? Would it be a thing? Um, and it was kind of like a wonderful and yet like a, a painful thing to think about, you know, like that is the wound, but we're here today and... Great to be here with all of you. I think Other we have question. one more question. Oh. So he's asking, because I need to say it here because we're <laughs> recording a podcast. So he's asking, uh, when did you start as a collective and where? when did you start this archive? Right? Yeah, we basically start... Is this okay? Sorry, we basically start uh, in the middle of the pandemic in 2021. Uh, we, 2020, it was, it actually, was late 2020. You know, it's a blur. Weird but times. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 2020. We we met like you know like on um, these conversations that we're having online in Argentina, and that's where we start like learning about the work of each other and like talking we should about. Should give a shout works. out to yeah to like uh, virtual Valeria, studio visit yeah, virtual studio visits with Valeria Robati. That was like so instrumental for us to like. Mirolenka, Mir Rodrigo, Itzel and I know each other like from the past. So like we started connecting through there. It was very important for us. And then oh wait, go ahead. And that comes to also like a shout out to everybody who has helped us. You know, like everybody like can support us. You know, like I think like Rico Robo is like some of us, <laughs> but at the same time, like it's every every friend that we have, anybody like kind of want to give us a hand, like you know, Caro is here, like was like we were trying to get a place and it's like, oh can you gonna stay with us? And then like it's just Everybody, like, you try to support each other. And I feel like that's what we, like, that's how we, ask, that's our practice. Kind of, like, you know, helping each other out, you know, like, when we... Collectivity. Like, But I yeah. think that's very Latin American. Like, we do help each other all the time. Yeah. <laughs> And so, well, thank you so much, um, uh, everyone, for being here. Thank you so much, Rico Robo. I really... And I really invite you guys to follow up their work. I find it super interesting and I think they're just starting. And they will also be featuring an article next month in Terremoto. We invited them to write about these concerns and they're using images and text and they're doing like this visual essay to, you know, keep delving into these topics. Uh, and also, um, this is the last print number of Terremoto. And so uh, we invite you to get it. This is like a, a collect, like a collect copy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is going to be our last number. And next year we will be launching a residency program. So yeah, that also entangles with uh, critical thinking in the Americas, giving visibility 
to uh, cultural practitioners from Latin America and the continent in general. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Thank you so thank much, you. everyone.